Good evening, and you're tuning in to CJLY, 93.5 FM in Nelson, 96.5 FM in Crawford Bay. In the lower Slocan Valley, you're reaching us at 101.5 FM, and in New Denver, 107.5. If you're just tuning in, you're tuning in at the top of the hour to Query with Abs. Query is broadcast on the sacred ancestral homelands of the Sinaixed people. And uh, the other day I was thinking about, like, why do we do land acknowledgments while I was driving? Uh, I was driving up to New Denver and uh, I was listening to CBC and uh, they had a beautiful um, uh, conversation with an elder talking about, like, the importance of, of truth and reconciliation. But we always forget the truth part of that truth and reconciliation. And a big part of, I believe, a big part of why we do land acknowledgments in all of the subtleties um, is because it kind of, it, it breaks down those lies and it helps to rebuild the truth that happens by just a simple acknowledgement that this is, this is the land that we occupy. It breaks down all of those colonial, um, hi- colonial communal histories by adding another layer to it. It's the same sort of idea or a similar idea to asking someone's gender pronoun. By making it normalized, by making it part of our everyday language, we're able to kind of create a space for people to be who they are and to acknowledge all of those layers that make up society. So I'll let you hold on to that for a moment. And I'd like to also introduce... Our guest today, our guest is Lindsay Ann. Can you say hi, Lindsay? <laughs> hi, everyone. How was your day today? <laughs> so far, so good. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy to be here. Really honored. Nice. Yeah. And I, we're honored to have you on here as well, yeah. too. So, Lindsay, what, um, what's your gender pronoun and where do you come from? And tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, gender pronoun, she, her, and... My my story sort of uh, starts with um, being a 60 scoop uh, kid, and I grew up in the foster care system. So both my brother and I actually were together for a time in homes. And um, and for those of you, thank you very much for that. And for those of you who don't know what the 60 scoop is, the 60 scoop was uh, was when the government decided to take. Um, children away from their families and put them into foster care uh yeah and primarily with uh white families and Mm. so that culture and language weren't available so that's sort of the and to bring it into a local context something similar happened with the dukabor dukabor children and we all saw how that that sort of incident created the children of freedom no I forgot. Someone will will message us and let us know the exact name for those people that stood up. So thank you. Sorry. Continue about. Continue with your story. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, there's a lot to it, absolutely. But um, I'd say that the experience of being uh, a child in care, certainly there is some really amazing moments and I think that it really lent to 
a certain self-discovery, sort of whether I liked it or not, it was a choice that I made, and it was sort of of the detriment to my well-being and my life as a whole. And so once that layer had been acknowledged, it really set the path for me to do a lot of uh, healing. Um, and that is actually what in part brought me to the Kootenays um, was through a friend of mine. Uh, I was 20 at the time, and they suggested that I come visit here. And I came here like most people. And, and said, never left. It was a big hell yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, a couple of weeks later, I actually moved here. Oh, cool. Yeah. And may I ask, what nation are you from? Uh, my nation is uh, Wasasing First Nation in Ontario. So, Anishinaabe, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. Indigenous, yeah. Uh, so, the reason why I asked Lindsay Ann today is that we have something, um, something very common that we both do. <laughs> um, and it's a segment of population or a segment of life that we both deal with that... Uh, that I'm very excited to start building a dialogue around that and start sharing that dialogue with people. So what do you do, Lindsay? And sorry, Lindsay Ann. <laughs> yeah, the double name. It's a hard one. Um, so what I do is I have a private practice uh, called Current Wisdom, and I do end-of-life uh, doula services as well as counseling. Nice. And it's interesting. So... Um, you do uh, doula services and end-of-life counseling, and I'm a funeral director, so I deal with, with kind of mm -hmm. the next step after you. Mm -hmm. um, a big part of what um, what is lacking in my profession is that pre- and after-care. So it's beautiful to start having this conversation about the pre- and after-care and how we can tie it all in together. So I was on, uh, on the World Wide Web, and I... Uh, <laughs> Typed in death doula. <laughs> and of course, Wikipedia, you know, the answer to everything, uh, came up with, with this. And I'd like to read it out to you. I'm going to kind of like summarize some of it. A death midwife or death doula is a person who assists in the dying process, much like a midwife or death or doula does with the birthing process. It's often a community-based role aiming to help families cope with and deal with death through recognizing it as a natural and important part of life. The role can go beyond supplement and go, oh, sorry. The role can supplement and go beyond hospice. Practitioners perform a large variety of service, including to, but not limited to, creating death plans, providing spiritual, psychological, and social support before and just after death. The role also, the role also can also include more logistical activities, such as helping with services, planning funerals, memorial service, and guided mourning for the rights and responsibilities. It's interesting. I, so it, it goes on a little bit. And then it, um, there's a full section about women in burials. Women, uh, women have long had, had and oh, let's start over again. <laughs> women have long had a hand in handling the affairs of the deceased especially in the task in paralleling with the natural burial movement. Historically, women have more often cared for the dead, doing the bulk of the preparation work for the burial. It was seen as part of a woman's role in the family to care for the deceased, just as she cared for the children and the sick. However, it was the rise of practice of embalming and the funeral industry that pushed women out of the practice 
around the time of Civil War. So it's interesting to see how uh, how this um, uh, female emotional work, uh, which was a long time handled with society, um, moved out with with the Civil War and then is slowly coming back in because we've realized that there's this huge emotional part that's missing uh, in our dying process. Mm-hmm. So tell me, uh, how did you get to end of life? Help care. Mm, yeah, great question. And I would say probably not a straightforward one, but um, just sort of bringing it back to uh, my early life experiences and having come up against a lot of uh, loss and, and grief at an early age. Um, it wasn't necessarily uh, the physical death of a loved one close, but it was a lot of um, um, being taken from a loved one. And so that in and of of itself, I think there's so many different kinds of loss and really little deaths that all of us experience each and every day of our lives. And so that um, I feel like I always had a, a natural affinity and curiosity in that realm uh, and it was always a very comfortable place for me mm-hmm. uh, even as uh, a kid and it sort of once I began really doing a deep dive into uh, looking at sort of where I came from and reconnecting to my my uh, indigenous lineage I feel like that's where it became quite clear um, sort of the path and it was also uh, a major accident that I was in that really made the path even clearer uh, about seven years ago. Um, yeah, I was a, a pedestrian that was hit by a vehicle and procured a, a loss of life in the process um, as I was pregnant also at the time. And mm-hmm. so that um, started this um, you could say uh, a rebirthing and a rediscovery of uh, a piece of me that I've always known was there. And, um, yeah. yeah. And it's funny how um, life gives us these experiences that help either push us forward if we're aware of it or, or if we're not ready, denies us from that or puts a block up. So um, after this, after the accident and kind of all of these things that's layering up to, to your life journey mm-hmm. um, or life path, uh, how did you, uh, what happened next? <laughs> <laughs> the unfolding. Um, yeah, what happened next was um, a lot of uh, deepening into some pretty dark, moments, you know, some of the darker moments that I had experienced in quite some time. And I definitely came up against a lot of, um, not just physical pain. I had to, there's a lot of chronic, uh, pain after from the injury and the surgery that I had gone through. And, but it was also the, um, the thawing out of the numbness around the actual loss that I had experienced. And so um, that was one of the pieces that was a big denial piece for me and um, and also was aware that was 
one of the more integral pieces in order to move forward in the healing was acknowledging that loss. And so I think we all have our unique ways in which we um, walk with our grief. And, and I found that, you know, it's not a straightforward at all, (laughs) but it can be quite um, amazing and painful and beautiful and just so many things. And when you come out, the other side um in some way it's just there's some sort of lifting up and there's a clarity that comes in that you would not have seen otherwise mm-hmm. yeah um for my experience it was quite similar is um i uh, uh how i got into the profession was my uh, best friend uh, died of colon cancer and i cared for her until the end and um when writing her eulogy um a part of it, I said, uh, uh, in your in your passing, you gave me this idea of grief, and and that idea of grief grief opened up the whole world to feelings, the layers of feelings. And before that, I never cried, and now I cried all the time, <laughs> which is beautiful because it allows me to like not be numb, but to feel the world around me and to, and to participate even more. Yeah. yeah. So I I uh, totally understand the the like the layers of feeling that happens through grief and the, the most beautiful thing is that we all experience grief without love we can't have grief yeah without attachment we can't have mm-hmm. loss mm-hmm. so it's it's something that is always intrinsically there but we don't give the space the journey to journey through it yeah absolutely uh so tell me about schooling how did you how what kind of schooling do you do to learn about Ah, yes, that is a very good question. I, I myself have a bit of a, um, a conflicting relationship to, I think, just the words around schooling and, and end of life. Um, but sort of what brought me, uh, to it was I did my somatic therapy training and that's sort of what I specialize in counseling, uh, and that then did, uh, a bigger reconnecting to my uh, lineage, which then also, um, because in community, uh, traditionally, there really is a a knowing from birth what our gifts are. Mm. And those gifts are the, the things that are really encouraged and nourished uh, in our lives. And so I really thought on that, and I thought how coming back to this, um, being of service to others in a way that you don't really hear about and you don't see often enough, and yet it's such a traditional way of being. And so I started researching uh, end-of-life um, trainings because I thought well, you surely need a piece of paper in order to be doing this work. Mm -hmm. So in part, I really do believe that having training around this is so, so important. And on the other hand, there's a commodification also on something that I can speak to. Even my Indigenous ancestors have been doing for 
thousands and thousands of years, which you can't really commodify something that's so longstanding. Um, so I hold two of those views at the same time. But I also, so my training, I went through Douglas College, uh, end of life doula, and it was a really eye opening. I learned so much. Um, and I think it's so important to really have, um, all of the information when you're doing this kind of work and you know, you're forever learning more. And that's what I really like about it because it's really, um, though it's being brought back into the light again, uh, if you were to say that, um, there's still so much work to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Um, it's interesting. And I really like how you said that, um, we have these gifts from birth that we, uh, that we grow into and it, it's it's interesting to hear that because it kind of ties ties into into um us as growing up as an adults because so many times it, it's it says that we'll have about four or five jobs throughout our life four or five different careers throughout our life but can you imagine if you were if your gifts were honed from birth how that would have how that creates that like place in society and that opportunity to grow and evolve within the context of your gifts. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that quote. Mm. I'm going to quote you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Douglas College, which school did you go to? Uh, which campus did you go to? Uh, so they have, I think... Two. Four, well, it wasn't at the campus, um, either campus. It was actually in Nanaimo. Um, oh, nice. That uh, one of the the people who does the training came and we went to, I forget, one of the hotels uh, and did it at one of the conference rooms there for a a week straight. Yeah, it was very, it was an intensive, so. Darn it, I was hoping that you'd say the one in New Westminster because that's where I grew up, right? Like a few blocks from the Douglas College. Did you? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, the first segment we were talking about kind of uh, what brought us into where what we do for our for our work. So I want to go a little bit deeper into our our perspectives of death and and how um, we're navigating that storyline or that experience within our community right now. Nelson, um, I it's it's super interesting that Nelson has two um, kind of um, one is one is a, the traditional hospice which is the Nelson Hospice Society. And the second one is more on the on the, the layers of death, which is the Kayleen Center. And I think it's super interesting um, that they have um, both of those scopes. Um, I wish they were kind of together more, but I think we need to have that separation um, and that exploration before you can come back together. And the Kayleen Center does a lot of work around, like, caregivers, a, a lot of work around, uh, again my understanding is the death doula aspect and having helping people through that stage and not just primary care, which traditionally we know hospice as. Would you like to speak a little bit about your experience with the Kayleen Center? Oh, I would love to. Yeah, the Kayleen Center, um, my first experience was actually I did my somatic therapy training on the top floor. And so that was my introduction to it. Although having lived in Nelson for going on 15 years, Mm. not really knowing about it. And um, so that was a really, uh, 
a gift, another gift that came into my life. And uh, from that point, I became involved in sort of small ways of doing a lot of traditional uh, drum and singing offerings, uh, sort of opening certain ceremonies and um, being part of the Liminal Learning Lab that was held a couple years ago. And um, so that was, uh, yeah, just sort of being embraced by that community um, and finding like-minded people for the, what felt like the first time in uh, being death positive and curious and just sort of finding my way home in a sense and have since become a board member as well recently at the Kalen Center. So Very nice. If someone wants to find out a little bit more information about you, uh, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, so you can look me up on the old interweb <laughs> through, you can go to www.currentwisdom.com and there we'll have some information about what I offer um, and my contact information. Wonderful. And I'll make sure to add it. I'll make sure to uh, create a post on our Facebook page so all of you listeners would like who would like to um, have more information or maybe have a – do they call it sittings? Like when they come in and see you. What is it called? Uh Appointments? <laughs> in know. intake sessions? Ooh, yeah. Intake session. If you'd like to have an intake session <laughs> with Lindsay Ann, you're more than welcome to. So <clears throat> let's give our audience a little bit of more of a perspective of, of like what you do and how what I do and that kind of that weaving of what we what we could potentially do together because right now there is a disjunct between uh, your kind of work and my kind of work. Mm-hmm. Thought lab right now. <clears throat> so when someone, someone, okay, I'll give you a, a kind of like an idea. Someone is, um, let's say for example, someone received a terminal diagnosis. They have a family here um, and they've just been given a whole bunch of information and um, actually like a terminal diagnosis is a big thing, right? Um, how, uh, and they're thinking like that. Uh, and they, they come across, they're listening to the radio show and they, <laughs> they hear about you and they go online and then they set up an intake. What, what kind of stuff would you cover? So in terms of, uh, for a terminal, um, diagnosis, um, I think the initial sort of either meeting or phone call would be around to see if, um, the two of us would be a fit. Um, and so we sort of would get to know each other in that half hour to an hour, um, initial meeting and sort of getting the sense of what, uh, the person is needing and wanting and sort of um, maybe even bringing other, if the family is present or friends who are also advocators, bringing them in to the fold to um, get an idea of what steps need to be taken to move forward um, and what wishes are wanting to be honored. And so there are other pieces where even if it's not a terminal diagnosis, um, I'd offer 
uh, advanced care planning as well as part of um, what I do. Mm-hmm. And so that's open to anyone. You do not even need to be, you can be living very well and healthy. Um, I think it's just really important to have um, that kind of information because what's true is that we we never know <laughs> when we're going to go. Mm-hmm. And, and even to plan around um, end of life, um, it's really to honor what our wishes and wants are uh, and for our friends and family to have that sort of peace being laid out in front of them as um yeah and and it's interesting because um i want to you know um i want to go back in a second and touch on advanced clear planning and what it is but when people come and see me a lot of times they're at they're like at a loss about what their loved ones wanted or what their how (laughs) how their loved ones wanted to be remembered and then you've got like um You've got these people making these decisions uh, when they're in where where they're in a, sh- a state of shock and grief, and to start having that conversation even a little bit earlier um, allows for that person's story and memory to be like a part of what they wanted versus a part of what the um, the people that they left behind wanted. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's a. a, a even just to sit and have that conversation with your loved ones is uh, super important. But what is advanced care planning? Are you familiar with advanced care planning? And what, as an audience, as listeners, I hope all of you have thought about this a little bit. Um, Advanced care planning is... um, Do you... you, Are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) Am am I ready? Um, we can we can kind of talk together. So my understanding of advanced care planning is uh, when you become incap- incapacitated or um, as you're journeying outwards, what things would you like to have uh, respected? It could be everything from a DNR, which means do not resuscitate, mm-hmm. to uh, to like uh, if you were to lose your faculties, if you were to. Um, have your organs donated, all of these small little nuances that um, if you can't make those decisions on your own, it's already written down to help you with those decisions. Yeah, exactly. And so it's sort of the three steps of advanced care planning is think, talk, uh, planning, and really there's four wishes too. Mm-hmm. Um it's think of what matters to you and who could be your voice when you are not able to speak for yourself and, and talk is talking with your support system. So that's that can be your family, your friends, your healthcare provider. It's who is going to be there at that time. Um, planning is writing down and sharing with again, your closest, those closest to you and your healthcare provider or your team, palliative care, hospice, and wishes mm-hmm. so it's wishes for what um health treatment mm-hmm. will be it, and what can look like and it's interesting when i first uh, started to get into this profession of course i'd like to talk to my family about it so i'd keep on bringing up the subject <laughs> about death and end of life blah 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 and nobody would really want to talk to me about it and then um maybe a year later 
uh, my parents sat my siblings and myself down and they're like, we did our will again and there's various stages to our will. Uh, and then each of you have your own job in that process. Because again, we're all good at certain things. So I'm, my responsibility is to ensure that the advanced care planning is met and to ensure that their health is, um, their health is looked after by one of us. My brother, he's better at finances, so he's mm-hmm. doing the will, uh, the estate. And then my sister is um, is the navigator between the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's super interesting. And again, um, without me kind of bringing up the subject, I, it wouldn't have gotten done. And then next thing you know, the three siblings will be fighting over like, yeah. do we keep our parents on life support system? Do we exactly. like, like, do we know what the um, uh, burial ritual for for Muslim people are mm-hmm. right, so it's super interesting and to have that conversation, even even though it took a little while to get that conversation going. Exactly. Um, so I'm going to shift gears a little bit because I think it's really important for our listeners to um, to learn about something. Um, we were talking about it off air. And uh, something called the trauma-informed lens. Uh, I know I'm throwing this ball at you right now, uh, mm-hmm. but can you tell me what a trauma-informed lens is? Mm-hmm. Well, really from my learning is that it's really taking the, the whole picture uh, into consideration. Um, and so it's not just the story um, but it's the the emotional, um, physical, spiritual um, impact that um, these experiences have on us. So, you know, I think of um, even in my Anishinaabe lineage, there isn't really any uh, takeaway. We, we don't just consider one component. We consider all components of being and I think that's what embodies the trauma trauma informed lens mm-hmm. and I think it also um, um, because it's in our DNA one of the songs that we listen to at the top of the show it's kind of that's why we chose the song uh, a trauma having a trauma informed lens um, allows for the fact that there is this historical um, story that's built into our genome and uh, when we approach everything that we do from counseling to uh, even hiring someone for work, having that perspective and understanding, um, it kind of, it, it gives people that, it creates that space for people to, to be who they are and also grow from, from, from their own individual traumas. And social traumas and societal traumas as well too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it, <laughs> we diverged a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> as we always do on query. <laughs> what other things um, do you think you provide to families or to uh, people on their way out? Uh, which we all are on our way out, by the way. Mm-hmm. BTW, we are all <laughs> on our way out. Uh, what other things can you help with people navigate? 
Yeah, so some of the services that I offer, and this is really individual to each uh, end-of-life doula, so that's, I think, one of the things that I really like about the scope of work is that you can really make it your own and um, offer to those who are in need uh, sort of your own unique individual services. So some of the services that I provide, of course, we talked about advanced (coughs) care planning. I do legacy work as well Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and information around alternative funeral um, and green burials and also providing the vigiling and respite. Um, I find that what's lacking in, in, in funeral services or in celebration of life or in even, even um, saying goodbye to somebody. So uh, when my friend uh, left us, uh, the three of us, we were sitting around her bed and we're like, oh, uh, uh, what do we do? We're just like we're in a state of shock, but we don't have these rituals. We don't have these steps. So then I thought, oh, yeah, I remember in my culture, we'd go and open the blinds and the windows. So I just stood up and went and opened the blinds mm. and the windows. And the, the the act of doing it, the ritual of doing that totally shifted the energy in the room, which was super interesting. So along those lines, what kind of do you what do you do with navigating people's rituals and exploring that with them? Mm-hmm. That's a, a really good question. And so, you know, I really personally feel like um, we could all use a, a lot more ritual and ceremony in all of our lives. And it can create such a, a need for that shift and that space uh, in those moments where um, you might not know what to do. And so, um, just as simple as the example that you gave is a perfect little ritual or doing the ritual around just being and sitting with the body or like the washing or, you know, um, and it's really individual based. So each person might not even know, um, what rituals they might like. Um, but like ceremony, uh, is such an important um, part, I think, from my own witnessing and being present at celebrations of life, that it's really an amazing time where there might be the feeling where there's that lack of in our everyday. It's really such a, a sacred time where you really see it come into play, at least I, that's what I've really seen in this area. Um, where people just know how to provide that ritual, whether that's like the burning of a fire for uh, a loved one for, you know, traditionally for my peoples, it's a four or five day and night um, fire burning. And there's a pipe ceremony. There can be a ghost dance. I mean, there's so many different um, pieces that you can bring in. And I think it's also a really great time for each person to even consider their own uh, lineage and bringing in like say if it's like a Celtic what would be like a death rite for that or like you know and so it really brings us into um, uh, creating the I don't know the 
the story and journey. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the space and the like, yeah. We forget that we're mental and physical beings. So to have both of those connect together in rituals is so important mm -hmm. for us to move through them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, I think that's, I think we'll let, let our listeners sit with that for a moment. W were you going to say something? No? Uh, I will let, we'll let you sit with that and think about what kind of rituals you would like or what kind of rituals you do, whether it's on a daily basis to like connect with yourself <clears throat> or even what kind of rituals you would like um, for your friends to, to do, friends and family to do for you when uh, you leave. And we're going to listen to another wonderful song. I'll tell you all about it after we, after you listen to it. One who take care of me when I die, will I go? Hope there's someone who set my heart free, nice to hold when I'm tired. That was Anthony and the Johnsons, Hope There Is Someone. I hope you enjoyed that song. It kind of keeps the the feelings and the mellowness and the all of those emotions that you're going through nice and, like, prevalent. So just sit with that. Enjoy that. Be with it. If you're now tuning in to us, you're coming close to the end of our show. Uh, we've had our wonderful guest, wonderful conversation with, with Leslie, Leslie Ann. Uh, they're a somatic counselor and end-of-life doula. Um, if you want to find out more information about her, you'll check out our Facebook page or go or Google uh, current-wisdom, and they'll be the first person to pop up. So to end the segment, uh, I'd like to talk about something very, very, like, Pressing, and it's pressing because uh, the government of BC, uh, government of BC, government of Canada, is um, is asking uh, everyone's consultation on something called me medical assistance in dying. What happened was, uh, uh, well, first of all, if you don't know what uh, medical assistance in dying is, made for short, it's um, it gives people the opportunity to, with a terminal diagnosis, to end their life without uh, extra extra. Uh, extrinuating, extrinuating, um, suffering. Uh, I think it's super important. And uh, what happened was we, there was a basically a push, a lawsuit, and then the government, government quickly came around and created uh, legislation around it. Uh, the legislation isn't, isn't like as best as it could be. So right now the government is looking at uh, your opinion on how they can make that legislation better. The the deadline is tomorrow, January 27th. And uh, if you just go online and type in consultation MAID, it'll be the um, questionnaire that comes up. And I want to first of all ask Leslie Ann, why, is, why do you think, according to you, MAID is important? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, well, I think made uh, is important because it really gives the um, brings back the the power to the the patient who is at end of life, and because no one uh, can tell them what they are feeling in their moments uh, when they're experience the 
experiencing the pain, whether that's the physical or the emo- the emotional component of um, being at end of life. And I think that that is the right of that person who is dying and there's alone. Mm-hmm. And it's really uh, and uh, brings into the advocacy of uh, honoring um, what's known as uh, dying with dignity. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the advent of technology and with the bringing in of technology, especially within the healthcare system, we've been able to pro- prolong life. And the and the biggest thing is prolonging life is great, but there's there's layers that that need to be addressed with that prolonging of life is there an an is there extenuating um hardship that's happening to that person is it going to yeah mind everything everything is has not really been talked about with the advent of lengthening someone's life so i think made is a good um good way for us to kind of add another layer to that uh and an important layer to that and again the government wants to hear your opinion. And the, the opinion is, is um, it may seem trivial, but it's very important. It goes through the fact that there's this um, some, something called the waiting period where they have to make sure that you're of, of right mind for this choice. Now, um, talking to people, uh, the waiting period is 10 days. And it's, it's hard when you're diagnosed with dementia or you have a brain tumor and you know that your faculties won't be there in a week in a in a in a month's time so questions like that arise questions like um um age age of consent uh, not age of consent age of no, no age of consent because mm-hmm. you have to consent to this mm-hmm. um and uh do you have any other kind uh, of eligibility that- in and of itself i think um because most will have to be under uh, some health care, which really, really puts into question those that are not and those who are in more um, uh, places in society that don't get considered uh, to be eligible. Um, I think that's a really, like, there's huge barriers, uh, even though this program is so important, I think think that there's a lot of pieces and components that um, really need to be considered. And I think even the survey, personally speaking, could have been done better. Yeah. Um, I really feel like it was, I sat there being like, really? Yeah, I had uh, to like sit there with some of the questions and like look it up and really like process it. But that shouldn't stop you from filling out exactly, the questionnaire yeah. because everyone's lens is a little bit different. They have to, well, our lens might be a little bit different than yours, but your lens is still important. Yeah. Um, so please go online and fill out the questionnaire. A full so after this questionnaire, a full readjustment to the um, to the made. Uh, not laws, no, yeah, made laws, um, will take an effect at the beginning of March. So the sooner you get out there, the sooner those opinions happen, the better it is. And so to end this segment, uh, Leslie Ann has a beautiful poem, beautiful quote that they'd like to share with you. So this quote um, I found somewhere along the way, uh, and this is by Frank Ostaseski. 
who is a Buddhist teacher and leader in the field of end-of-life care. And he is the one of the founding, maybe a founding director of the, the Zen Hospice. He actually came to Nelson for the Liminal Learning Lab that I was really um, grateful to have been a part of back in September of 2017. Death is not waiting for us at the end of a long road. Death is always with us in the marrow of every passing moment. She is the secret teacher hiding in plain sight. She helps us to discover what matters most. <laughs> 